Well, Happy New Year. It's great to begin the new year as a church worshiping the Lord together. And I'm grateful for all of you and that we're here today. Uh, we're going to do something as we begin this year that's a little different, um, but something that I think is going to be very special. I'm very hopeful for this year and um, all that it, I hope and pray, will mean for our church. Um, we really haven't done what we're going to do over the next several weeks since really the beginning of our church, really before the beginning of our church, as we were kind of preparing to launch. Uh, we're going to spend nine weeks actually together just on kind of some foundational things for us. And we're going to be looking at some texts that are really foundational to who we are as a church. Um, there's a tool that we use at Christ's Covenant. Uh, we call it our covenant wheel, and it really embodies our kind of covenant identity as a church. At the very uh, center of the wheel, we have these three core convictions um, that we just really believe are essential to being a church. Um, and so the first one is gospel. Uh, the word church in the Greek is ekklesia, and it, it means the the ek part of that word, it's a Greek word, the ek part of that word means out or from, and then the klesia part of that word is, it comes from the Greek kaleo, which means to call. So you can, you can hear the meaning of the word in the word, the, the ones that have been called out, the ones that have been called away from, those have been called out, that's who the church is. Those that have been called out of the world by the power of the gospel, the good news of Jesus, that God and sinners can be reconciled to Christ, that you can know God in Jesus, that you can have fellowship with God in Jesus. That, that word, that good news has come to you. If you are the church, that's come to you. And it's called you out. It's called you out of darkness. It's called you out of sin. It's called you into fellowship with God. So those who have been called out by the gospel... And the other emphasis that we see in the New Testament are the, is, the, is the togetherness of the church, the, the one anotherness of the church. Uh, and so those who have been called out are called together. And, and really the togetherness of the church, what's even happening here, we're gonna talk more about this later. What's even happening here is we're, we're kind of living out kingdom life. What, what we're doing together here today, what we do when we gather is we live out we love one another, we worship together, we live out the ethics of the kingdom. It's, it, we, we, we are saying today, Jesus is reigning. And he may not be reigning in the whole earth, right? There's parts of our city where it's hard to discern the reign of Christ, but he is reigning in this room because he's reigning in our hearts. We've been called out from this world. Christ is reigning in my life. And, and now I'm together. This is why corporate worship is so important. Now I'm together with those who are also underneath the reign of Christ. So as we're called out of the world, we're called together. And we begin together living out this kingdom ethic. And so the second conviction is kingdom. And then we're not just a purposeless people or a missionless people. No, Christ has given us this mission to, to take the good news of the gospel, to take this reconciling work of Jesus to the whole world. And so we live out the mission of Christ. The, the second layer of our little covenant wheel is the values. And really in this layer, we, we just give more clarity or definition to those convictions. And so we want to be a church of gospel centrality, right? We want the gospel to be at the center of everything we do. I and mean, what does it really matter? Well, what does it matter if you go serve your neighbor? I mean, I'm not saying it matters nothing, but it doesn't matter for eternity. What does it matter if you serve your neighbor if you don't know God? You know, what does it matter if you have good community and good fellowship? Again, those are nice things. I'm not saying they don't matter at all, but they don't ultimately matter, matter if, you, if you don't know the Lord. We want the gospel the good news that you can know God and Jesus to be the center of everything that we do. We also want to be a church of gospel clarity, right? We, we live in a world of counterfeit gospels, right? Where it's easy to believe something that's not really the gospel. So we want to be clear on what the gospel is, what the gospel is not. We want to be a church of gospel fluency. And, and what we mean by that is we want you to be able to apply the gospel to every part of your life. That's To be gospel fluent means I know how the gospel 
impacts my worship. That, might, that one might be easy, but I also know how the gospel impacts my marriage, my work, how I spend my money, how I treat people, how I drive, how I spend my money, how I eat, right? How, how does the gospel speak into all of the different facets or components of your life? And then, of course, as we understand ourselves as a kingdom people, when we gather together like this, we come together as a kingdom family, as brothers and sisters in the Lord. When we have brothers and sisters, we have since we have older brothers and fathers in the faith and mothers in the faith. There's a, there's a family sense about this. We, we love one another as those who've been called out. But of course, we're not always gathered. In just a, about an hour, we will scatter again. And when we scatter, we're called... Sorry, I just ruined everything. Uh, Christmas is officially over, I guess. But, but uh, here, I'll go ahead and just finish the job there. But anyway, but when we scatter, we scatter as ambassadors for the kingdom, right? We, we don't just go to work. We go to work as a representative of Jesus. We don't just live in a neighborhood. We live in a neighborhood as a representative of Jesus. And then, of course, we, we want to live out the mission of Christ. We want to obey his great commandment to love our neighbor and to bring justice and mercy and goodness to this community that we've been called to. And, of course, we also want to obey his great commission to make disciples, not just disciples of those around us here in Atlanta, but to make disciples of all nations. And we do that through mission sending. We do that through missions giving, through partnering with missionaries and even going on mission all over the world. So that's who we want to be. Our convictions, our values. That's, that's who we want our members to be, who we want to be as a church. But, but the, the, the third ring is really how we grow in this, how we develop this. And we call this ring our behaviors or rhythms. Now, I, I want to, before I jump into this, and this is what we're going to be spending the next week talking about, these rhythms by themselves don't make you grow, right? Some of the most evil people I know go to church every Sunday, right? I mean, some of the worst people I know read their Bible every day, right? So these rhythms that we talk about by themselves don't automatically make you more godly. What makes you godly? In fact, let me, I'm still in my introduction here, so this is actually not our text, but flip with me to... Um, 2 Corinthians, real quick, 2 Corinthians 3.16, I want you to see something. It says, uh, I'm going to start in verse 16, 2 Corinthians 3.16, it says, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. And, and what Paul is saying here to the Corinthian church is, is in Jesus, you can know God in an unveiled way. You can behold God, you can know God, you can commune with the living God. The veil is removed. And then, how that kind of operates, how that works itself out in this life is the Holy Spirit. The, the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is there is freedom. I love that idea, where the spirit of the Lord is there is freedom. Now, what that means is this, is spiritual maturity is the way to freedom. I want you to hear that. You want to be free? You want to really be free? It's, it's spiritual maturity is the way to freedom. The more you know God, God is the order of everything, right? God is the order of all things. And so the more you are in line with his order, the more you delight in his order, the more free you are, the more you will want to do what you ought to do, which is really the definition of freedom. When you want to do what you ought to do, then you can do what you want to all the time. You're totally free. And, and, then, and then the last part is what I really want you to see here, verse 18. So, so because of Christ, because God has removed the veil, he's brought us into fellowship with God, he's leading us to freedom by the power of his spirit, here's how spiritual growth happens. When we behold God, we all with unveiled face behold the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is spirit. So I want to be very clear. We have these nine rhythms, and, and I'm going to be... I'm asking you, I'm asking myself, like we, we want to be intentional believers. We want to follow the Lord. There should be some intentional grace-driven effort in your life. Like sometimes you don't want to go to, or you stayed up late watching a football game and you're like, I don't know if I'm going to make it, but I'm going to go and gather with the saints. So it's, you may come and it's, it's not always the most, ah, this is awesome feeling. Or maybe there's mornings where you are asking you to read the Bible and it's like, man, I <laughs> would rather sleep in right now. So there's some grace-driven effort here. But it's not, it's not in these exercises, it's not in these rhythms, it's not in these behaviors by themselves that you necessarily grow. It's, it's these behaviors that are the settings whereby you can behold God. 
You're more likely to behold the glory of the Lord when you gather with the saints. I mean, how awesome was that song that we just sang? Behold him. I mean, that's the invitation of the song. It's just saying, behold the Lord. And you're thinking about the power of God and the mercy of God and the goodness of God. And guess what happens? You're in this setting of corporate worship, beholding the glory of the Lord. And you know what's happening? Your faith is increasing. You're believing more and more in the power and goodness of God. You're being transformed into the image of God and you're moving toward freedom. You're moving toward spiritual maturity. That's the goal. And so we have these nine rhythms and behaviors to say, hey, these are things that are just true of the Christian life. And they are, the first one is corporate worship that we would gather as saints. The second one is family worship. You wanna be a part of a family that treasures these things together. So we want you to have some time where you pray together and study God's word together as a family. The next one is personal devotion where you on your own are praying and pursuing the Lord, studying his word. The next one is supporting the church, loving the Lord with your wealth, supporting God's kingdom uh, ministry through, through giving, through generosity. The next one is relational discipleship, where you're in community. You're not pursuing the Lord all by yourself, but you're in community of other saints that are stirring you along toward love, toward good works. The next one is evangelism where you're actively sharing your faith, where you see yourself as a kingdom ambassador, someone who's sharing the good news of, of Jesus to a watching world. The next one is service, a commitment to service, that you're using the gifts that God has entrusted to you to serve one another. The next one is blessing our city, a commitment to our city, to be God's agents in this city for restoration, for justice, for mercy, for grace, for peace. And then the last one is to reach the world, to make a commitment to reach the world, to, to be about this global mission of God. And so the, the goal of the next nine weeks is that we would grow in these areas. Again, not just for the sake of having a nice little to-do list, but so that we would be in these environments, these settings where we'd behold God more. And as we behold him, as we come to know, as we see his wisdom and strength and power and beauty, we would grow to become like him. So let's get started. The first one that we're going to look at today is corporate worship, what we're doing right here. And we're going to, again, for all of these, be looking at kind of classic Bible texts. And so our scripture for today comes from Acts chapter 2. I'm going to begin in verse 36, Acts 2, 36, and I'm going to read through 47, Acts 2, 36 through 47, that we pick up here. This is the day of Pentecost. Peter has just been giving this big, long, very powerful sermon. And we kind of, we're gonna, I'm, just, I'm just gonna pick up in the last little bit of that sermon and then we'll, we'll see what happens as a result. So Acts 2, verse 36. Let all the house of Israel, therefore, know for certain that God has made him, him being Jesus, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And Peter said, and they said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, every one whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourself from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized. And there were added that day 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing proceeds to all as any who had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Well, as we think about corporate worship, there's, there's a few things I want us to see in this passage. And again, um, I've taken a bunch of my time here, so we'll have to go quick. But four things. How this worship happens, 
with whom this worship happens, who or whom this worship happens, what was happening in the worship, and then what was the result of it, and finally, why? Why is all of this happening? So how's this happening? Acts 2.42, again, very famous passage, 2.42 through 47, uh, very famous passage. A lot of people have looked at this to look at what is the church like, what is, how do we understand kind of what the church is, a very basic um, kind of passage in, in Christian life. The reason I started in 36, though, is, is you got to, and really I could have started before 36, but you have to answer the question of, okay, how is all this happening? What's going on here? And, and, and what has happened, again, you could go back to the beginning of chapter two, you go back to 36, the beginning of chapter two, you could really go back to the beginning of when Jesus came, but what's happened is Jesus has come. And Jesus has made reconciliation between God and man. And through Christ and in Christ, people are coming to know the living God and the power of God. They're coming into the worship of God. Their lives are being totally revolutionized and totally changed and through the message of the gospel, the righteous life and atoning death and power-giving resurrection. Jesus has brought us into this place of peace with God. And we can know this peace and we can know the power of God through the power of the Holy Spirit, the second person, the third person rather of the Trinity that dwells within the life of the believer. Acts 1.8 famously says, this is Jesus, this is the beginning of Acts. This is really the thesis of the book of Acts. He says, you, to his disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and even to the ends of the earth. So the beginning of chapter two, the Holy Spirit does come. They do receive power and they go out as his witnesses in Jerusalem. It's just in Jerusalem in Acts chapter two. But all these people are in Jerusalem and they hear the message of the gospel and they believe and they were baptized. And it says 3,000 people were added to the church that day. This, this little ragtag group of 120 people that were following Jesus after the crucifixion and resurrection is now 3,000. And the power of God is being known throughout the whole city of Jerusalem. And Peter preaches and the people are repenting and the people are turning to Christ. And they're worshiping together. And you say, what, what's happening? How is this happening? And here's what it is. It's conversion. The people are being saved. The, the gospel is penetrating their hearts. They're coming to know God. And then their whole life is being reoriented by this. They know God. That's a powerful thing to think about. Something has happened to these people. It's conversion. They're not having to be dragged to church. They're, they're not having to be like convinced to come and do this. There's not like, well, they... You know how they have good things for kids. There's good moral instruction there. None of that's going on. It's all, I know God now through the message of this man, Jesus Christ. I, I know God now through this gospel message. And really the question I guess I would ask for all of us is, are you, are you converted? <laughs> Do you know God? Has this happened to you? Has your, has your life been reoriented? Have you come into fellowship with, with God through the power of the gospel? Do you long to hear from him? Do you, do you long to be together with all the saints? Do you hunger for the word of God? Do you, do you hunger to be around his, his church, his, his people? Do you believe? I mean, that's, that's really it. You know, I was talking to a friend um, right around Christmas, and he was talking about his church. He goes to another church in Atlanta that's, you know, kind of a more like mainline traditional church, and he was saying, man, Christmas. He was like, this is a big time for you. He's like, do y'all have a bunch of extra services and stuff? And I said, well, not, not really. I mean, we just kind of, you know, do our normal thing. He's like, really? And I was like, yeah. And he goes, it's not like a huge swell of folks. I was like, well, you know, I mean, not, no, not really. And he goes, you know, I guess, I guess at your church, the people really believe. <laughs> and, uh, and he said, they, they just come every week. And I was like, yeah, they basically do. And he was like, yeah, yeah, they really believe. They want to be there every week. They don't just come once or twice a year. Well, I mean, that's, that's evidence that, of conversion. This isn't just something you do once a year to feel good. I mean, it's a nice little Christmas tradition, a nice little Easter tradition or whatever it is. And it's not, I long to be with the people of God. I long to be with the saints. I long to hear from the word of God, I long to commune with other believers. I want to see the world change through Jesus and his message. I want to be a part of people that believe. This isn't a club, right? This isn't rotary. 
You know, this isn't the local Republicans or Democrats or the daughters of the revolution. These people are changed. They, they had come to know God and it revolutionized them. And day to day, I mean, day to day, they're coming together to worship. They, they, they have come in contact with something that is so high and so good that he's worthy of their daily worship and praise. You know, something has happened in the past few years at my house that's great. And it is that my sons have come to love football, right? And so it's great. You know, when I, a few years ago, when I wanted to watch like bowl week, when I want to watch a game, you know, I'd have to fight them. They'd want to watch like Curious George or whatever they were into, you know, at that time. Well, now they watch football. They love football, you know? And so I don't have to convince them to turn the game on. When I get to the room, the game's already on. I mean, Rainer will give me the whole stat line of, you know, how many yards the quarterback's thrown from, how many sacks. I mean, he, he, he's dialed and it's awesome. And so I get to enjoy this thing with them. And, and what's fun is that they, because they play football, they, they appreciate how amazing, you know, this pass was or how hard it is to cover that guy or, man, how awesome that tackle was. They, there's a sense of appreciation for the beauty of the game. And we together, because we all three appreciate the game, can really enjoy that in our home. But I want to say this. The higher the object, the higher the object the greater your expression of appreciation is for it. The more you, you want to burst with appreciation for it, the higher the object, the more you want to burst into appreciation for whatever it is. You know, it's, it's one thing to appreciate a, a cat. It's another thing to appreciate a football player, but it's another thing to appreciate God and to recognize his worth and his wonder and his glory and his beauty. This isn't some club. <laughs> this isn't cat lovers. This isn't, you know, some, this is, this is a, a community that has come into communion with God. They've been converted. They've been saved. They've been changed. They've been renewed. Now, if you're not a believer, I think that, I'm glad you're here. It's a very smart thing to do. If you're, if you're, if you're trying to ask yourself the question, well, what is Christianity like? Or what do these people really believe? It's good to go to a Christian worship service. And watch us. Watch these people. Do they really believe this? What does it mean to them when they sing these songs? What does it mean to them when they listen to the, supposedly what they believe is the word of God being preached? What does it mean to them when they're taking the elements of communion? How does it, what does this do to them? Do their lives reflect this at all? Are these really people that know God? It, sh it should be different if we really know him. And that brings me to the second point. And that's whom? Who is worshiping? Who, who are these people that this is happening to? And how are they being drawn together? Pentecost, the, the setting of Acts 2. Pentecost, before it was a Christian holiday, it was a Jewish holiday, right? And, and, and a lot of people don't understand the origin of what, what Pentecost was. So Pentecost, it was also called the Feast of Weeks. And it was, it was after Passover, it was 50 days after the beginning of Passover. So Penta, like Pentagon, you know, it's like 50 days after Passover began, there was this feast of weeks. And what it was, was the celebration of the offering. The celebration that, of the offering that people were giving kind of in response to the deliverance of God, in response to the Passover, and, and what people would do is they would bring their offering in for these seven weeks, these, these weeks after uh, the Passover, and then they would celebrate what came in. Now, again, we kind of get this, right? You know, today, January 1st, we've just had year-end giving. And so, you know, our church, that's a big time. I hope we all were generous at the end of the year. If any of you guys are connected to other nonprofits or other ministries, I mean, you know, I mean, you, you've gotten the emails over the past few days. You know what I'm talking about? It's like, this is your last chance to give or you can change lives. You can do this. So this was kind of what this was. It was the offering that came in and it was the day after that when they would count the offering and it was a big feast and the Jews were really feasty people. And so they would have a big party. Let's, let's celebrate the offering that has come in. And so people would come in from all over the world. They would come in to celebrate this great day of feast, this great celebration. And of course, we get that too. I mean, last night, New Year's Eve, New York City, right? People were there from all over the world 
celebrating the end of a year, the beginning of a new year. So, so that's a little of the setting that was going on here on the day of Pentecost. And it's in this setting where people are in Jerusalem from all over the world, from all different types of people, all different tribes, all different languages, all these different people were there in Jerusalem. And this is the crowd that Peter goes out and begins to preach. And he begins to preach. And all these people that, that had, some of them had never heard of Jesus before. They knew these, they didn't know anything about these events. And they start to believe and they're converted. It's 3,000 of these people come and they're changed by the power of the gospel. People of different backgrounds and different races and different customs, they come together because of Jesus. And I, the point I'm trying to make here is from the very beginning, the church, the worshiping church of God is, has been a mess. I mean, imagine if our church grew, I mean, people it will say, gosh, our church is really growing. We didn't grow 3,000 in one day. You know, people say, well, you know, there's these people, I don't know if they're well discipled. Well, neither were these people. They didn't know anything. They're just changed by the power of the gospel. And it was a mess. I mean, I try to put myself in the apostles' shoes of trying to, okay, we got to get a lot more groups going, you know. We got to get some discipleship structures in place here. We're going to need a lot more elders. I mean, we're going to, this whole thing is a mess. Yet in all of this mess, People are being changed. The gospel was going forward. God is at work in this. And there was radical unity. That's what's so amazing about this church. The radical unity of it. The radical inclusiveness of it. You know, many scholars, and if, you, if you're a student of history at all, even if you're not a Christian, the fact that Christianity made it in the Roman world should be at least intriguing to you. I mean, how do you get this ragtag little Galilean guy with no authority to come up with a message that the whole Roman world, the most powerful world, believes and starts to follow and believe that he's Lord? I mean, how does that happen? How does that happen? And one of the things that scholars always point to, the, the impact that Christianity had on the Roman world was the radical inclusiveness of it. The Roman world was very divided. I mean, if we think our world's divided, the Roman world was much more divided. People believed in different gods. They had different gods had reign over different regions. There was, people were very tribal at this time. They were very true to their tribe. They didn't have interface. Christianity, in, in many ways, has, has de-tribalized the world. In fact, the, you know, you, you have heard me talk about the, the, the pre-Christian tribalism that's coming back into the world that we are experiencing now. But this is a very tribal Roman age. Everybody kind of kept to their tribe. They didn't talk to people that weren't of their tribe. I mean, even that Acts 1-8 message, when Jesus said, you will be my witness in Jerusalem, okay, Judea, okay, Samaria, uh, we're gonna let those people in? But that's, that's what the gospel started doing, this very tribal age, where people had different gods, different worldviews, the wealthy, the educated, they were into philosophy, the poor were more into paganism. All of a sudden, Christianity comes in, and in this church, you have rich and poor. You have Jew and Gentile, you have slave and free. Men and women are being honored. They're, they're used, they're important leaders in the church. It's wildly inclusive. But this is what true Christian worship does. It pulls people of different backgrounds and different classes and different cultures and different languages together to be one body in the Lord, to understand themselves as the same people, the same tribe, the same family. You know, when I was, um, before I went to college, most of my friends weren't true followers of the Lord. I mean, you know, I grew up in Alabama, so they were like good Christian guys is what I call it. You know, they'd go to church on Easter or whatever, maybe say a prayer before a football game, but they weren't like, followers of Jesus, you know. They weren't, they weren't devoted followers of Jesus. They didn't, want to, they didn't live to please the Lord. But they were my friends because we played sports together and we rode bikes together and they were just the guys that I grew up with. I mean, they're just the people that were around, the people that I was friends with. And so in one sense, I had everything in common with them except my love for Jesus. Well, I went to, I went to college and, and college was a time of great spiritual growth for me. I really... Help, took hold of this Christian identity. And then, of course, I went to seminary and grew all the more my love of the Lord. 
Well, after seminary, I, I moved back home. I moved back to Huntsville for a little while. And I was excited to be with my old growing up buddies again. But something was different. There was this part of our relationship that just didn't mesh. And I was like, wait, what's, what's going on here? Well, it was, it was me. I had changed. I'd grown to love the Lord. The Lord had become the most central part of my life. And so even though we had everything in common, we had everything in common. There was this divide. There was this lack of intimacy that we could have because we just didn't have the spirit of, they didn't have the spirit of God in them. You know, the same time is when I really got in my life engaged in the global mission of God. I started going on mission trips. I started engaging with Christians from different parts of the world. And I would notice that these people, even though I had nothing in common with them, we could barely communicate, didn't have the same childhood at all. They didn't grow up riding their bike down Bailey Cove Road and playing baseball at Fernbell Park. I mean, they, we had nothing in common. They were from other parts of the world, totally different families, totally different culture. And the intimacy that I shared with these people that knew the Lord was deep and rich. On one side, I had a group of guys that I had everything in common with except for Jesus. On the other side, I had a group of folks that I had nothing in common with except for Jesus. And this group, I was so much more intimate with. I was so much more close with. There was a sense of trust there. That's what the Spirit of God does. That's how the Holy Spirit of God can unite people of different class, different education level, different race, different background, different setting. It's now, it's not that there's not disagreements within those folks. It's not that they may not say, well, hold on, I think this way and I think this way. It's not, but there's a bond. There's an intimacy that transcends all of that. That's the spirit unifying work. That's the communion of a spirit-filled church. Third thing, what is happening? We've looked at how and who. What is happening? Something I need to say here real quick before we get into this is a little Bible study lesson. When you're studying the Bible, there's a difference between what's called a prescriptive text and a descriptive text, okay? A prescriptive Bible text is like a command in Scripture. So, for example, the Great Commission, right? This is a prescription. Go and make disciples, right? Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded. We, we don't take this as like, okay, well, that's what they did. We say, no, this is a prescription. This is a command of the Lord to us. When we baptize people, for example, we always say, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, because of this is what's commanded. We're, we're, we're following the prescription very carefully. A descriptive text is a text that describes something that's happening in biblical times, but it's not in a prescriptive way. Now, descriptive texts you shouldn't write off. We, there's a lot of principles that you can learn from. There's a lot of great things that you can learn. You can learn how the Lord works, but it's not prescriptive in the same way. Acts 2 is a descriptive text. Now, I want to say, so on one side, it's not prescriptive. So some people will say, well, Acts 2, we should only meet in houses, or we should have a meal all the time, or we should, you know, everybody should sell their possessions and, and share them among people. Well, no, this is describing what was going on in this church. There's principles that we can draw from the description of this, but it's not prescriptive in the same way. But on the other side, we shouldn't just blow it off and say, well, that was then, it's different now. No, there's, there's guiding principles that we can learn as a church even today that be true of all churches. So a few of those. And I wanna look at those in two ways. First of all, what is happening? And then second, what happens as a result of what is happening as a result of this worship? So what is happening? You see in verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. So four things here. First, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They were devoted to the word of God. You know, I've heard it said that the early church didn't have the Bible. They just gave witness to the resurrection. And if you've heard this said, that is wrong. That's silly. It's, I've heard that said often and it's, it's, it's horrible scholarship. The early church was always given to the teaching of the word of God. Now, of course, this is before we had the New Testament. And what these apostles would have been teaching was the Old Testament through a Christ-centered lens. They would have taught the Old Testament in a Jesus-fulfilling kind of way. I just, um, 
so talked to a guy after the service in the first service. It was the first time to come here. And he said, I listened to the whole Exodus series and I learned more about Jesus than, in, than any other sermon series I've listened to. Well, of course, Jesus is, Exodus is about Jesus. This is what the apostles were doing, but Jesus isn't explicitly mentioned in Exodus. That's the kind of teaching that they were devoted to. It's the kind of teaching that we had in the early church. And then again, as soon as the New Testament texts were being written, they were used in Christian worship. And people were devoted to this teaching. They longed to hear from the Lord. They longed to understand what God had revealed in his word. And they were devoted to it. They obeyed it. They listened and followed. They were also devoted to one another. They were devoted to the fellowship. They understood, and I want you to hear this. My Christianity is not an isolated thing. I want to encourage you in that. Are you a part of a community of faith? Or is this only your thing? Is this only like, well, this is my little thing. It makes me feel good. Or do you understand that in Christ you've been called to be a part of a body? Your worship is not just for yourself. It's for one another. Are you a part of a community of faith? They were devoted to the fellowship. They were devoted to one another. They were devoted to the whole body. They were devoted to the breaking of bread. Now, the English makes this a little confusing. It, it, the, the Greek is really, they were devoted to the breaking of the bread. There's an extra article in there. This is talking about the communion service. They were devoted to the breaking of the bread. They were, they were, they were devoted to the sacramental life of the church. And, and I hope that that's true of our church too, that we would be regular in baptism and the Lord's Supper. It's, it's through those means. Jesus gave us those means to remind us of who we are as a part of the people of God. When, whenever we go into a time of baptism, we are being reminded that we are the people of God saved from destruction in the same way that God saved Noah from the destruction of water during the flood narrative, in the same way that God saved his people when they crossed the Red Sea on dry ground and God destroyed the Egyptians in the same way that God saved Jonah to give him another chance to obey, be a prophet, in the same way that God saved Jesus and rescued him from the destruction of the cross, the destruction of his death and raised him to new life. When we are baptized, we are saying, this is who we are. We're those people, the people that God has been merciful to because of his kindness and grace to us through Jesus and in the Lord's Supper, in the same way, we, we take the Lord's Supper to remind ourselves that we're a part of the people of God. In the same way that the people in the Passover meal were covered over by the blood, they were passed over because of the blood of the Lamb. We are saying God's judgment has passed over us. And we have been invited to fellowship with him in the coming ages around a feasting table with Christ as our Savior. We're reminding ourselves of who we are as the people of God, and that's what they were doing. They were devoted to the breaking of the bread, and they were devoted to prayer. They were a praying church. They prayed for one another. They prayed to the Lord. I, I pray that's something that we grow in as a church. We're more of a praying church. I, I'd love to invite you even to the prayer meetings that we have on Sunday mornings and Tuesday mornings that information is in your bulletin. So that's what they were doing. But then real quickly, and, and we're running a bit long, but real quickly, just the result of this. Five things. First, awe. They were in awe of God. As they worshiped, their awe of the Lord grew. That's, that's why this is so important, that our awe of the Lord would grow, that we would have more awe and delight in the things of the Lord. Second is unity. They were one. I mean, they were committed to one another. And we see here the, the text about people selling lands, giving their possessions to make sure. And the principle here is that no one had a need. No one had a need. Everyone's needs were taken care of. I pray that's the kind of church we are. And I would even invite you, if you have a practical need, there are resources in the church. We want to help you with that. Please talk to a deacon. Talk to an elder. Let us know. Number three is commitment. They were committed. They honored their commitments. They were committed to one another. They were committed to worship. They were committed to their groups. They were committed to serve one another. Is that true of us? Are we a committed body? Number four, I think this is so good. It said they were glad, they had glad hearts, glad and generous hearts. They were filled with joy. A result of their worship was joy. A result of their worship was joy. You know, you know a mark of the Christian life is joy. When I find myself <laughs> you, know when I, you know when I know I'm not in communion with the Lord like I need to be? And this is 
This is not part of the sermon. This is a Sunday morning confession. It's, you know, when I, when I get irritable, when I get angry quickly, when I'm ungrateful, when I don't have a glad heart, that's just evidence that I, 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 I'm not in fellowship with God. One of the marks of a Christian life is joy. You know, Hebrews 1.9 says this about Jesus. I think this could be a verse for someone. Hebrews 1.9. This could be your year verse. for some, Somebody here is like, this is a verse you need to meditate on this year. You have loved righteousness. It's about Jesus. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. What this means is that Jesus, in his love for what is right and his hatred for what is wicked, was the most glad one among his companions. He was, he, was, he was filled with joy. He was filled with gladness. Are you? Is that true of you? Is that what people say? This person is the glad person I know. They're filled with joy. That's a result of their worship. It should be a, result of our, it should be a mark of our church. And then finally, God gave them favor. People saw this joy. They, they saw their love for one another, and the church kept growing. The, the city was impacted. God added to their number. The gospel had come. The spirit was at work. This began a revolution of God's work on earth that obviously is happening right now. So we've looked at, we've looked at how and what and who. But last I was going to say Why? And to talk about why this is happening, really, you have to go back <laughs> to how. It, they were saved. They were converted. They knew God. They were a new people. And it stirred something in them. They were changed. They, they, they had fellowship with God, and they, and they began acting this out together. You know, you know really what we're doing here? We're borrowing from our future right now. That's, that's what this is. Here at 1207, January 1st. I'm, it's good to worship on January 1st. We should like almost, I won't ask you to go to church again next year on January 1st, but I should, you know. Like this is, this is a good thing to do. Let's begin our year worshiping together. And you know what we're doing? You know how we're beginning 2023? We're worshiping the Lord. And, and in a sense, what a worship service is, is you're borrowing from the future and you're, you're, you're taking a piece of the day and the time when Christ's reign will be fully known, when you are with the Lord in his presence, where he has made all things new, and you're bringing that into right now. When you read Acts 2, 42, 47, that's what it's talking about. It's saying they're, they're, they're living out the reign of Christ now. There's a lot of places we could go in Atlanta right now, and you would say, Jesus is not reigning here, right? But here, here, because he's reigning in your heart, in your heart, in your heart, in your heart, in your heart. And we've gathered together, the reign of Christ is present. And in a sense, we're, we're borrowing from the future. We're borrowing from the day when the reign of Christ will be without doubt. And we're bringing it in. And that's stirring us along. You know, I have a friend who's Italian. His dad is Italian. He grew up in Italy. His mom's American. He spent a lot of his childhood in Italy. And... Um, you know, his, all his, his grandparents, his aunts, uncles, he's, he's Italian. And so he always goes over there, and he's got this old family recipe, his old family recipe for meat sauce, and it's great. It's great. And he's shared it with some of me and some of our friends, some of our buddies. We have this old meat sauce recipe, and it's fantastic. I'll give you the, the, the tip is you can never put too much garlic in your meat sauce, okay? But he's got this, he's got this, old world recipe that he's brought to the new world. What he's doing is he's taking something from the old world that's been a part of his family for generations. He's taking something from the old world and he's brought it over here to the new world. And now we're all enjoying it. In a sense, what we're doing now in worship is we're taking something from the new world, <laughs> from the world when we're with the Lord, from the age we're with the Lord, from the new heavens, new earth, and we're bringing it back into the old world. <laughs> And while we're gathered, we're being reminded of the weight and beauty of Christ. We're being reminded, oh yes, because of what Jesus has done for me, I can know God. I am changed. I do have an eternal hope. 
I will be with the Lord someday. All of these pains and sorrows and sins that I wrestle with now will be made right. God has invited me in, and he's invited you 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 in, he's invited me in, because Jesus was willing to be put out. We are the people that should have been put out and should have died in our sin, should have faced the consequence, but Jesus on our behalf, because he loved us, has faced those consequences. Jesus on our behalf, because he loved us, was the one that died. Jesus on our behalf, because he loved us, was stricken and forsaken and struck down in this old age so that we could have the hope of the new Jerusalem with Jesus. So that we could have the hope of this new day when when his reign will be known, when all things will be set right. And right now, as we worship, we borrow from that. We borrow from that. We live that out together. And as we do this, this is why it's so important. This is why you you should do this 52 times this year. It, It informs the rest of our life. It informs the rest of everything we do. So as we close, as we continue in worship... I want to lead us in two things. We're going to have a time of prayer. And I want to just invite all of us to to just begin this year, this 2023, in communion with the Lord. And then Jason Byers, one of our pastors, is going to come and lead us in a time of communion. Let's remember that we are a part of the people of God as we share this bread together. And so as I pray for us, we don't always do this. And certainly, if, you, if you're not able to do this or you just don't feel led, that's totally fine. But if you are able, and if you are led, I'm just going to invite you to begin 2023 by bowing on your knees before our Lord, just to pray to him. And you can go ahead and be getting on your knees if you're, if you're able, if you're comfortable to do that. I'd invite you to do that. And I just want to lead us in a time of led prayer, and then we'll break bread together, then we'll Have a time of communion together. Let's take a moment just before God in the name of Jesus to just spend some time praising the Lord. Would you take a few moments to praise the Lord? To praise him for his power and worth and beauty and goodness and and strength and love. Spend some time just to praise our Lord. And would you take some time now just to thank the Lord? to remember his goodness, to remember his provision, to remember the salvation that he's given to you in Jesus, to remember the good year that he's given you and the year that we have ahead. Spend some time thanking the Lord. Would you take some time now to confess, to ask the Lord to examine your heart, to reveal what is really in your heart? Spend some time confessing those things before God. And as you confess, trusting in the mercy and grace of Jesus, the finished work of his cross. Spend some time confessing and trusting in Jesus anew. At this time, I just invite you to to present your request before the Lord, to ask him to meet your needs, to take care of 
the things that are on your heart to give before him your sickness, your pain, your struggle, your desires. Just lay them at his feet. Ask for his help and grace in these things. At this time, I'd ask you to spend a moment in intercession. Just to pray for maybe a family member or a friend or maybe somebody you know that doesn't know the Lord. Maybe somebody that's sick right now or in need. It's hurting. It's lost. If nothing comes to mind, just pray for the guy or gal next to you. Just intercede for one another. Father, thank you so much for this new year, that we begin it in worship, that we begin it recognizing our weakness, our frailty, our dependence on you, Lord, recognizing your worth and your beauty and your strength overall, your wisdom, Lord. I pray that we would trust in this, that we would not find our identity in our own plan or way, but trust in your providence over our lives. Father, we do confess our need for you, our sin, our lack of worship, our lack of love for you, Lord. I pray that as we repent and look to Christ, Lord, our hearts would be transformed from one degree of glory to the next in these things. We ask your blessing and care of our church this year. I pray, Father, we would love one another well, that we would be devoted to your word. We would delight in remembering that we are the people of God. Our ministries would be effective. We'd be a people of prayer and obedience, Lord. And you'd use us, Lord. So we submit all these prayers, Lord, all these prayers that I've just prayed, all these hundreds of prayers that I know you have heard. We submit them to you in the strong and beautiful and good name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus. We pray them in his name and for his sake. Amen.